0: Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk.
1: And I'm your co-host, Jackson
0: Efflin. Thank you for joining us this week for episode 14 of our Prep School Bracket. This is the last match of our semifinals, and we will be discussing 2003's Mona Lisa Smile, as well as 1992's School Ties.
1: So... I came into this episode not really knowing what I was going to pick. Usually you kind of have a sense. Going into say, Mona Smile versus Toy Soldiers, you kind of knew that one. But with this, I wasn't sure, but as I started taking notes, it wound up being, and here's why movie X is better than movie Y. And that's all my notes are. So I'm not sure how we're going to work through this. I'm going to try to be subtle about it. I'm not sure if it's going to work. Also, if I sound froggy, it's because there's a terrible plague inside my sinuses and I'm dying.
0: It is unlikely to be the plague that is currently sweeping across the world.
1: Oh, right. That is also a thing.
0: It's not that. Sorry. Bad timing for this joke. (laughs) Well, moving on to lighter subjects, why don't we go ahead and jump into Mona Lisa's smile? Sure. Uh, Specifically the production side of things. Yeah.
1: What's happening there?
0: So we have director Mike Newell. He got his start in British TV in the 60s. A bunch of things that I've never heard of, but I'm sure you and our UK listeners have. (laughs) Uh, as far as U.S. films that, like, I am familiar with that he directed, Four Weddings and a Funeral, which, you know, widely critically acclaimed, I believe he was nominated, possibly won of BAFTA for that, Donnie Brasco. Also, coming up two episodes from now, he is the director of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Also from our time travel bracket, he directed Prince of Persis' The Sands of Time. He's, uh, I wouldn't say a one-hit wonder per se, but, I mean, it's just- Goblet of Fire and Prince of Persia mm. are very outside of his normal wheelhouse. That's fair. I will say he was the first British director to direct a Harry Potter film. That's good, I suppose. Yeah.
1: Oh, I haven't heard of any of the stuff he directed for the telly. Mm. Men on the Iron Mask, I guess, but that's like the TV movie of it.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he directed a number of TV movies
1: as well. Something called Birth of a Nation, which that seems fine.
0: It It's not the Birth of a Nation that you think it is. Oh, I know. Just, you know. Yeah, Th- that name is forever tainted. <clears throat> Yeah. So yeah, he is pretty good with these like character-driven dramedies, like Four Weddings and a Funeral, Donnie Brasco, things like that. And so it makes sense for him to direct Mona Lisa Smile. The stuff later in his career, not so much. I think Hollywood has this weird tendency to think that the longer you've worked in the business, the more you can just do anything.
1: Right, which is often not the case. Like, There's definitely a case to be made for throwing an experienced director at something that doesn't necessarily fit them to see what they're going to bring to it, but that only works if you have something that kind of needs some spice in the ice, which doesn't always apply. As soon as you have like a really strong script or whatever, or
0: a, a cast that already kind of knows what they're doing, they like need someone mm-hmm. to kind of help them meet their timings of things. Mm-hmm. I do know a few years ago he had a adaptation of Great Expectations, the Charles Dickens novel don't know how well that went i just know it exists but that definitely seems much more up his alley than the action heavy movies of harry potter and prince of persia yeah as for writer we have a duo of lawrence connor and mark rosenthal and they've been a regular writing duo since 85 uh, they started working together on jewel of the nile which is a sequel to romancing the stone well yeah that thing however they have a uh, somewhat notorious reputation for working on films adapting other pieces of media and it not going very well. So they wrote the screenplay for Superman 4 The Quest for Peace. Unfortunate. The thing that you know killed that franchise <clears throat> until Superman returns in 2006. And even that is kind of more of the idea of that franchise.
1: Yeah. Technically the franchise is now still ongoing.
0: They also wrote the screenplay for Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. That one is great, though. I love Uncharted Country. The Beverly Hillbillies film, Mighty Joe Young, the 2001 Planet of the Apes, and uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, the one with Nick Cage.
1: (laughs) That has a special place in my heart. Yes. I don't think it's actually good, but I do love it. Yes.
0: It is not good. It is fun, though. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of the things that they've worked on together are not well-received. It really seems like they toss these in when they don't really care about a project and just need a script written. Yeah. They also have worked separately. Like, Connor does have some talent. He's worked on The Sopranos and Border Walk Empire.
1: Okay, yeah. Those are pretty high profile. I haven't yeah. actually seen any Border Walk Empire, so I, don't, I can't speak to that, but...
0: Yeah, I, I've heard good things. Yeah. Uh, and then Rosenthal worked uncredited on iRobot and also the Aragon movie. <laughs> so not helping his case there.
1: Talked about this before, and I managed to... Forget it. There's something just incredibly forgettable about that movie. Like it exudes forget me energy.
0: Yeah. Uh, he was also involved in the 2016 remake of Roots.
1: Mm. Oh, wait, the dramatic story about slavery, right? Not the yes. yes. Okay, I, I think I mean like the, the one about. Um, I'm thinking of weeds. Different.
0: <laughs> yes. Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, this is a little bit kind of. Out of the ordinary for them, since they typically are just working on adaptations of media that already exists. Outside of what I've already mentioned, they've also done some uh, Stephen King adaptations and a few other things. But I mean, what they did here seemed to work. Jax and I both really enjoy it. However, it does kind of unfortunately follow the theme of things that they work on together are not financially successful.
1: No, although it's weird that like, first is a strong film that feels like it has like a lot of heart behind it. You have these kind of, eh, throw them in creators. What's up with that?
0: I wouldn't necessarily say, eh, just throw them at it. This is definitely within Mike Newell's wheelhouse, uh, especially at the the time. It's just that he went on to do things very much outside of that, and those are very well-known movies, whereas his other work is less well-known.
1: Mm, sure, that makes sense.
0: Then we have cinematographer Anastas Michos, Honestly, he's not done a whole lot of cinematography work that I'm familiar with. The only films that stood out to me were Death to Smoochie, which I haven't actually seen. Right. But ridiculous concept. Uh, And then he also was director of photography for The Purge Election Year, as well as The First Purge. Which, those are both decent Purge movies. His work as a camera operator is much more extensive. He's worked on a number of comedy specials. Like, he worked on Eddie Murphy's Raw he worked as a camera operator in the second unit for Toy Soldiers, on this bracket. He's also worked as a camera operator for Home Alone 2, What's Eating Gilbert mm. Great, and Interview with the Vampire. Oh, nice. Which is a very beautiful movie. Yes. A lot of his work as like cinematographer, director of photography, is less mainstream. There's a lot of kind of all-over-the-place stuff going on there. Mm. He's worked on a number of like documentaries, comedy specials, horror films. There's not really a distinct style that I could attach to him. He's kind of just a jack-of-all-trades. Again, that recurring theme we have, what's up with that? Yeah. It apparently all came together for this one, even if it may not have served most of these creatives well in their careers. I'm
1: wondering if, if a lot of the work on this movie was kind of just, hey, very talented actresses, just go ahead and do the thing. And they're like, all right, cool.
0: Yeah, as far as narratives from production, I couldn't really find much, so I don't really know exactly how this all came together and why they decided to make this specific movie.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, I enjoy it, but I don't have a whole lot more background information for how it all came together.
1: Yeah. It's a strong film, and I feel like it ought to have a strong story behind it, but it just doesn't.
0: It's not anything interesting like uh, Dead Poets Society was. Right. That's what I was expecting going in, and it was just not what I was able to find.
1: Yeah. Oh well. So there's a difference between school ties and Mona Lisa Smile. I think it's worth exploring. And at the risk of sounding like being in a legislature, should teachers be people in these movies? This bracket is ostensibly about prep school, and so I feel like there's a certain assumption of the students being at the focus here. And in school type teachers have almost no interiority. They are at best two-dimensional, at, at most maybe one-dimensional. But we have these very like vivid, complex teachers in Mona Lisa Smile, and I'm not sure what is better there. I mean, apart from just like they're doing different things, but for the purpose of judging the... Like when Mike Noel was on here, we talked about how sometimes that movie might be a little bit better, but the other one is a better example of the Brackets concept.
0: Boiling it down... Because there's such a heavy focus on the teachers as opposed to the students in Mona Lisa Smile, do we feel that it is less of a prep school movie than School Ties is? Yes. Okay.
1: Um, like well, still takes place at a prep school, so I'll I'll allow it. But yeah,
0: like I'm, we're not kicking it off the bracket in the semifinals; <laughs> that'd be ridiculous. Uh, no, but I do get what you're saying, and I do think there's a kernel of truth there. Like when we're talking about prep school movies and like going into developing this bracket, I was under the impression that we're going to be following the students. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that this is the biggest diversion in that regard. We still have quite a few strong plots from the students, but it's undeniable that like, Catherine is our point of view character.
1: Right. And I mean you have a, a very complicated character with Professor Keating from the Bo Society, but he's a single person who's we dip into and out of it where and the students are clearly the focus, whereas Well the teacher is the main character here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you could theoretically edit this movie to remove a lot of her storylines and have it be just about the girls. Like, It's doable. Might be kind of a clunky edit, but it's doable.
0: Yeah, it's doable. And I think you'll probably have to expand some of the girls' stories. Like, I don't think Giselle quite gets enough. No. Uh, Connie probably needs a little bit more exploring as well.
1: I mean, I think Giselle needs, like, four spin-off movies in a TV show. But one of which should also be a Fast and Furious movie.
0: <laughs> I mean, you could just t- uh, like title it, like, The Bee in Apartment 23, and it's just that show, but, like, set in the 50s. Good. With her and Betty, like, living together.
1: The Strumpet in Apartment 23.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Strumpet's a good word.
1: Right? I love Strumpet. While well, I don't think it diminishes it as a movie, and I also think it's good to have all the nuance that all these characters get. Like, every character in Mona Lisa's Smile gets to be, like, nuanced and complicated in some way. Mm-hmm. Apart from, like, the very peripheral characters, like... Yeah. Betty's mom or whatever, but
0: I do think that's another thing that is really important in a prep school movie is that we have an ensemble cast, mm, yeah. and I do think that *Mona Lisa Smile* probably has the best ensemble cast in the bracket.
1: Yeah, I'd say that or Deadpool Society*. One of the two. Well, *Deposed Society* has more peripherals than the don't get almost development like Meeks. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like Pitts, a few other characters. I think that *Mona Lisa Smile* balances its ensemble incredibly well. And we, we've talked about having an overbalance ensemble cast with like St. Trinians, yeah. uh, where we spend so much time equally that none of the characters actually get to be complex. Mm-hmm. And I think that that problem is averted with Moments of Smile. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it's less of a prep school movie. It's less of the platonic ideal of one. That's fair. Yeah.
1: Because I mean, I think that our platonic ideal of prep school movie is definitely like New student arrives at the school, always, and then does things. And this is new teacher arrives at the school. So it's a variant there, but yeah. yeah. It's truly wild that uh, the new student here is, uh, is the teacher who gets bullied by all the students.
0: I mean, I love the first class. It's so good. The editing on that, all these quick cuts as they are just completely tearing her lesson apart is visceral. Snake goddess Minoan,
1: 1600 BC.
0: You feel the same defeat that she feels afterwards.
1: Yeah. All the classroom editing is so impressed. Like, there's that, there's the next one where they're dwelling on, on carcass. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the third one that I love where it's just Julia Roberts shouting slide over and over. It's so impactful. Mm-hmm.
0: That's the third in the classroom, mm-hmm. but they also take... The trip out to see the Jackson Pollock painting. Yes. yes, yes. Which is also brilliantly edited.
1: Yeah. I haven't been paying attention to the editing much apart from just like enjoying things. Is the editing also as good in other scenes or do they put extra effort into the, the teaching scenes? The way you might put like extra effort into like a fight scene in a kung fu movie.
0: I think that the editing during the classroom scenes are there's more of a flourish because mm. a lot of those tend to be like montages. There's a lot more movement. I still think the editing is good elsewhere. It's mm. just a different style.
1: Sure, it's not flashily good. Exactly.
0: Mm. I think the thing outside the classroom, uh, the film excels at is framing. Yeah. Like the establishing shot right before Catherine tells Bill, like, I know your secret. Or the close-up we get after she slides down the icy stairs mm-hmm. is fantastic. And it just, it gives so much insight into Catherine's emotional state there and how just defeated she's feeling.
1: While it's pretty common to use camera angles and editing and all the jazz to get this a character's head, I feel like they're not all using like obvious things
0: for this one, mm-hmm. or at least
1: the emotional landscape the character is experiencing is not always the one you would pair with this sort of style of editing so it feels fresh.
0: It's not exactly what we were expecting and so it feels novel and draws you in.
1: And it also displays an element of like care for these characters and for the story that, that they didn't necessarily have to. Like while it's strong it's, I can understand how person might be like, eh, I will phone in the camera work or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um speaking of camera work, I don't think we talked about this last time. The marriage ritual versus school ritual? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, good so there are two big rituals in this movie um, the first one is the first day of school you have all the teachers and students filing into this classroom the next one is uh, Betty's marriage to man man one he doesn't matter mr Elizabeth uh, Warren <laughs> and the school ritual is gorgeously shot you have this sunlight streaming in you have all the all the people like crowding in ways that show bits of color but are also kind of a amorphous mass you have this gravitas created by the way that People are standing in the way they're talking and it's like beautiful and fascinating and it like hits all of my buttons as a ritualist. Who knocks at the door of learning?
0: I am every woman. What do you seek? To awaken my spirit through hard work and dedicate my life to knowledge.
1: Then you are welcome. All women who seek to follow you can enter here. I now declare the academic year begun. The marriage is just, just like, it looks like the kind of thing where you hire your friend who has a camera to shoot your uh, your marriage. It's clear that the, the movie does not care about the marriage at all. Like, sure, it's a grand set. It's a big crowd, but it's not shot in a way that lends it any kind of magic the way that the school ritual did. I think that's a really good way to show what really matters in people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that We're falling into some of the same traps that Kate was in if we say that, you know, marriage doesn't matter, only school does. But in the context of this film, for what was mattering for these characters, it's clear that one was way more important.
0: Also, our point of view character during the like opening ceremony is Joan, whereas the person in charge of all the marriage stuff is not even Betty. It's Betty's mom.
1: Yeah, who, as we've established, is not a character, really she has characterization i don't want to like say that the yep. character isn't vivid and real but she doesn't complex she's an obstacle yes show one of the closest things this movie has to like a villain per se if you needed to pick one
0: yeah i think yeah she's probably the closest one i think anyone even comes close not even like bill
1: well i think bill's a villain but i, I think
0: bill's a villain but I, not
1: in the narrative of the, of the film he's he's a villain but not strictly an antagonist yes Whereas Betty definitely starts as a villain, but, like, defrosts. Mm -hmm. Gets recent Disney-era treatment for villains. (laughs) With a twist, and she suddenly becomes good. Mm
0: -hmm. Jumping off (coughs) of the school ceremony, we later get a scene with Wellesley's secret society called uh, Adam's Rib. Mm -hmm. I hate that name for a women's secret society. A restaurant, sure, but not a secret society.
1: Okay, I would...
0: Eat an Adam's
1: rib all the time if it was a a thing in town. And I don't even eat ribs. (laughs) I mean, I love ribs. Yeah. My teeth are fucked up. I can't eat that shit.
0: Mm.
1: Flavor-wise, great. I would go there and like eat their salads or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. And I feel like it it suggests some underlying problems with the culture there. That even in their attempts to have a space that is just theirs and is a social freedom, they're still being defined by male juxtapositions. Mm -hmm. Which, good writing. I feel bad for them. I also feel like that's one of the weakest scenes in the film, to be honest. Mm. I think it has some like interesting stuff. We learned a few things, but I think that if you wanted to like trim the film down for a two-hour time slot on TV or whatever, I'd lose the Adam Dribb scene, just bam.
0: The only reason I'm hesitant to do so is because that is one of the few scenes that we get that pits Catherine and Betty against each other directly on even footing, outside of the classroom where Betty is a member of the Secret Society, whereas Catherine is a guest. But outside of that, she is a professor and she's a student. And so things kind of even out. They're on equal footing and it kind of gives their arguments more equal weight amongst those listening in. Bill Dunbar, he'd be an affair. Let's talk about that, Miss Watson. You don't believe in withholding, do you? No, I do, however, believe in good manners. But for you, I'll make an exception. That's what we're supposed to do for married students, right, Betty?
1: I agree but also I think that it adds a level of complication to their relationship and their dynamic that I think doesn't quite get enough follow-up and exploration. I think that if you limit their dynamic to only teacher students it is more coherent for the film's narrative even if that makes a more robust story overall. Yeah I'm not saying those relationships aren't like a thing that happened like the idea of the teacher should be remote from their students is probably not a healthy one, but I think that in the context of the film, it doesn't work as well.
0: I, I definitely agree with you. I think they should have either either dropped it or pushed it further. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in this weird middle ground and it, it's not as well done as it could have been.
1: Yeah, if we had maybe two other Adam Drib sequences, one way at the start, where it's um just the girls interacting and kind of in the same way we see them when they're just in their dorm talking about contraception or whatever, and then yeah one a little later when they're starting to fracture more about their opinions I think that would have been a good progression and finally bringing Kate in might have been really effective there but yeah. yeah
0: yeah I also think that having that like them talking about contraception while in the secret society and then B- Betty taking it out of that mm. would have been a really interesting direction to go
1: yeah that would have added a layer of betrayal that I would really like mm-hmm. so I'm gonna be honest with you I was supposed to do the uh, backstory for school ties and I didn't do it my bad so,
0: are we going to go on a wiki walk right now?
1: Let's go on a wiki walk right now. I've done some of it kind of as we are talking. We talked before about how the screenplay screenplayed by Dick Wolf. Yes, that Dick Wolf. Fun fact, there's a lot of Law and Order. He's done a lot of other stuff too. A lot of like crime type things. I think it's just like his, his thing, which fair enough. But it's like players, Law and Order. Deadline, a Law and Order thing. Arrest and Trial, another Law and Order thing.
0: Dragnet, Law and Order, Trial by Jury. And I mean... I'm not going to lie, school ties, part of it definitely feels like that. We get we get the 12 Angry Men sequence at the end. You know,
1: you're not wrong. This does have the format of SVU, by which I mean it is most of the crime than a tiny bit of the law
0: part. <laughs> which is why SVU isn't good.
1: That's probably not fair. I've only seen like quarter
0: episodes of SVU. I don't know. Yeah. Most of the people who really enjoy SVU really enjoy it for the characters. And for its ridiculous attempts to be culturally relevant.
1: That's fair. I don't know. I'm also more into law drama than I am into like police drama. So. Oh same. Yeah. Sidebar, I wanna watch in Twelve Angry Men between the last time we talked about this film and now. It's really compelling. Especially if you assume that the one guy who doesn't think that the the perp did it is like a plan who's trying to get uh, get a murderer free by slowly breaking down the psyches of everybody in the room. If you have that reading of him as like the devil, mm. uh it's really fun. Mm. Yeah. Also really good acting.
0: Okay, so we've got the writer. What about director?
1: Right. That's uh, Robert Mandel, who hasn't done all that much. He directed Independence Day. Not that one. Some other stuff. Not a lot of stuff you'd know about. He's the kind of person you get for, like, two episodes of television, but mm-hmm. not much else. Okay. I mean, notable television. Like, he did some stuff in Prison Break, some Lost, The Pilot of X-Files. Okay. Yeah, like, he's no slouch. He's just not, like... Okay. Um, and, like,
0: all of those are, like, are definitely within the same wheelhouse as school ties like i looking at those and looking how school ties is film like okay i i definitely get that
1: yeah it definitely makes sense but i feel like he hasn't really taken off he hasn't really had a thing that like really like defines his career yeah exactly I mean, maybe it's school ties like they're not like listed by uh, notoriety or anything so mm-hmm.
0: yeah but honestly if your career is divided by school ties good job well i don't know it's from 1992 and is not well remembered Sure, but notoriety
1: doesn't necessarily equal
0: artistic achievement. Yes, I, I will grant you that. But people gotta eat.
1: <laughs> nah, nerds. Times <School laughs> was his ultimate film. He also made something called The Substitute, which, from the looks of things, is like if you mashed toy soldiers and the pacifier into one thing.
0: Yeah, that name rings a bell. Who, who stars in that again?
1: That is one Tom Berenger. No, maybe he died. No, he's still alive. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Oh, this is why we don't
1: <laughs> walk on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, that hurt. I have regrets. Yeah, I'm going to keep up living being sick as long as I can for this. It's fine. It's fine. So, not much of a story there. I, I think it was the producer then who really wanted to get this story told. And when he be- like became a head honcho at Columbia, he basically ordered it n- so, mm-hmm. which I respect that. I respect. Having a story you want to tell so hard that you become a CEO of something to get it made. Mm. Heck yeah. Um,
0: and who is, who is that producer?
1: Uh, that is Stanley Richard Jeff, who is Jewish. This is very clearly a, a very personal story, and I would feel very uncomfortable if there were no Jewish voices behind the camera, and there are, so yeah. that's good. The cinematographer, Freddie Francis, is someone who's done like 14,000 films and has been working since the invention of the derogatype. So...
0: From everything else going on, it really does seem like this is in a similar situation to Mona Lisa Smile, where they kind of just got not big names, but competent people to just kind of churn it out. They didn't expect much from it.
1: Yeah, and while Mona Lisa Smile has some great cinematography and editing, School is fine. There's not a lot that really stands out to me.
0: There's a few things that do. I do like the cinematography around the like scene in the rain.
1: Yeah, that's really good.
0: But a lot more of the stuff is coming from the writing and the acting. There's some really interesting editing during the Twelve Angry Men sequence.
1: Yeah, but a lot of it looks more like a high budget made for TV movie than um, than like a normal cinematic release. Which I don't want to talk smack about that. Sometimes things don't need to look flashy. There's probably stuff that could have been augmented by having like a really talented team of editors and filmmakers. But I don't. No, so I'm ahead of what that would be. What scenes do need some like flourishy editing? Maybe the sports scenes.
0: Yeah, the sports scenes, which they're functional, but they're not like ooh wow. They're um,
1: barely functional. I don't know what's happening, but also I don't know sports. So it's not the
0: film's fault. I will say oh, I do also re- I really appreciate the cinematography. The night that McGivern kind of loses it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. But they could have pushed that a little further too.
0: Yeah, they could have pushed it a little bit further, but like I don't want it to be overwrought and melodramatic.
1: Right. We don't need it to suddenly shift and haunting music and like the the feel yeah. of the fae coming in like we have for um, the big death from The Society.
0: The scene overall is telling a pretty small story, and I think that it's okay to let the story speak for itself and not get too flashy with the filmmaking. I think it is entirely functional and it for the most part does not get in the way and that is that is completely fine yeah and the movie
1: probably looks good i mean partially it has brendan fraser in it <laughs> uh, but also the scenes are often lit the way they need to be the 12 angry men scene the scene of the club after the championship game like feels very warm the way that i want it to the stark kind of coldness of the scene at the swimming pool all those things are working really well to like have the right vibe mm-hmm. so good job what else do I want to talk about for School? Time? We can probably compare the pedagogy for the two movies. Unsurprisingly, Mona Lisa Smile has a more dynamic educational approach in School Ties, it's just rote memorization all the way down. Yeah, uh, which is not a healthy way to learn things generally.
0: Yeah. I do like the history teacher's style.
1: I think I broadly agree, although that can be very stressful for the wrong person. But I think definitely yes. if you if you know it's coming, it can be very fun. Yes, um, especially if if he has enough humor to kind of not be a jerk about it. I will say, for those who haven't seen it recently, uh, Henry VIII assumes throne. 1509. (laughs) 1649. Mr. Smith? Uh, Charles I. Valescu. Correct. Which resulted in the establishment of what? Uh, Commonwealth Mr. Grash. Very good. And he's pointing to people not who he's looking at, so there's an element of tension there. I think that can be very fun to see if people have read things, but also a lot of it is like, what year was this? Who was this? Blah, blah, blah. As opposed to that you understand things about, like, why did the Berlin Wall fall? Why did Martin Luther do the thing?
0: Yeah. Like, I don't really think he's doing a good job um, isolating his curriculum, but I do ap- appreciate his teaching style. Yeah. I think the teacher is
1: interesting to me. I don't like the communal punishment aspect of things. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah.
0: We- we've gone over that against the Geneva Conventions and all that.
1: Yeah. But he at one point says, uh...
0: This course has no shallow end. Sink or swim.
1: And I said that to our new hire at work because he came in on the same day that we went into full lockdown mode for the coronavirus. And I'm like, hi, welcome to the new job. So we've got him and we've got uh, the French teacher who definitely is from Vichy, France. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um,
0: Do you have any other teachers that we see much of? Not really. We don't even really get much of the coach, which I'm disappointed by. I wish we got more of him.
1: We get that opening scene and then we get... The one or two things at a championship game, but there's not like much of them learning from him.
0: Yeah, I really wish that David had a dynamic with him where if no one else, he will understand what he's going through and he can go to him. Yeah. I think that would have been really healthy for David to have, but we don't really explore that relationship.
1: Would you get a teacher who walks in on him praying during Rosh Hashanah?
0: Yeah, I think the headmaster.
1: Yeah, but again, headmaster, I I don't know what he does actually. Um, What do headmasters do? I mean, I guess administrative stuff. I basically just off of Dumbledore. What does Dumbledore <laughs> do with the school? I don't assume that administrative stuff happens at that school. I don't assume that that school is, like, accredited. There's so many questions about the about the way that the school is That's fine. That's fine. And that's a decent scene, but I kind of wish we had more of the headmaster knowing his secrets and how the conversation unfolds.
0: Mm-hmm. I honestly wish we got a little bit more of the fish out of water with David too, being in a very Christian school. Yeah. We get the one scene where he is having to like sing a hymn along with everyone else and the look on his face is perfect and he's kind of just completely not understanding what's going on and just trying to look like he knows what he's doing.
1: He's one step down from Rowan Atkinson just mumbling and going, (laughs) what is clearly obvious yes and and like we get like other fish out of water stuff but it's more for drama and i wouldn't have minded one or two more like just kind of fun wacky sequences
0: that are less tension building i mean we do get the best wacky sequence of they disassemble and then reassemble the french teacher's car in his room oh yeah but i mean like more wacky fish out of water sequences yes yeah
1: i'm so glad we have the levity of the disassembling of the car reassembling it that's very fun it's very well done and it the film needs that breath of fresh air yeah and also it makes the later betrayal of david by a lot of his peers
0: hurt more because they have this moment where like they were all united against a common evil mm-hmm. the inclusion of that scene after mcgivern's incident is fantastic it's a really good choice and it brings everyone together And that's kind of where David and Charlie begin to form a friendly relationship. Yeah. I wish we got more of David and his roommate. um, Yeah. Played by Chris O'Donnell. Because he becomes important after it's revealed that David is Jewish. And at the trial, he's one of the few people who believes David. But we don't really see a whole lot of building that relationship. And one of the most significant scenes has this weirdness where Brendan Fraser's like angrily taking off his pants. Yeah, as you do. And it's not like a Magic mic thing where he's like pulls and they're gone. He is like getting into bed and he's angry with his roommate for distancing himself from him after the secret is out. And he's just like angrily talking at him while undressing. It's odd. It doesn't
1: kind of work, no. no.
0: Angry plus undressing Pretty much never works.
1: Yeah, like, in certain contexts where people are about to have hate sex, sure. Yes. And maybe that's what the two needed. I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) Don't sleep with your roommate. But the roommate is much of a character, and he kind of becomes more of a character as the film goes on. When the film needs him, I think we definitely need a, like, a scene or two where they just hang out and, I don't know, play chess on a rainy day or whatever. Yeah, like,
0: we have more of a sense of who McGivern is than David's roommate.
1: Honestly, I would have really enjoyed if... David told the two guys going diving for spare tin uh, story to his roommate. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been a really interesting scene. And either swapping it out with that one date he goes on or telling the story twice and seeing how they're wrapped in endeavor might have been an interesting way to mm-hmm. uh, build those characters. Mm-hmm. So, question for you for these movies. These are movies with a lot of big names, a lot of stars. Which is better for playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Who, um, On the one hand... Mortal Lisa Smile has Kristen Ritter, which gets you into the entirety of the MCU, as well as Mary Margaret Blanchard, which gives you access to the entire Disney canon. On the flip side, you have both Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in, in School
0: Ties. So. To be fair, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck often come as a pair. That's true. So having one, for the most part, gets you the other, or at worst, one extra from having to step into something they're both in to get to the other one. Yeah. So like big names from school ties, we have Brendan Fraser, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck.
1: Mm-hmm. I think Chris Dowell is sort of a big name, but... A little yeah. bit.
0: I mean, you can easily get to George Clooney via the via Batman and Robin with him. Yeah. And uh, David's dad is, I know, a really prominent character actor. But there's just so many young actresses who were up and coming at that time in Mona Lisa's Smile, plus Julia Roberts, plus the governess of Wellesley. She she is a prominent character actor. She's in Home Alone 3.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, sure.
0: So I definitely think as far as Six Degrees go, because there is a bigger cluster of people in Mona Lisa's Smile and they've gone on to do very disparate things, Mm -hmm. that is a better film.
1: Yeah, and while Brendan Fraser is a big name, I feel like a lot of his stuff isn't that big or having a noteworthy people that I can think of. That man.
0: Yeah, it's Ooh. also unfortunate that you know he was out of the limelight for a number of years due to no fault of his own.
1: Right. Well, he's back in Doom Patrol, so I guess we have yet another way to get into all the DC things through actors from this movie.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, you also get to the MCU with Matt Damon. He played Loki in the play. Oh my god,
1: and- I always forget about that.
0: It's so good because no one saw it coming. It wasn't promoted at all. It was just... Tell my
1: story. Build a statue for me. We will build a big statue for you. With my helmet on. With the big bendy horns.
0: Oh, hey, there's Matt Damon.
1: <laughs> uh, truly wild. Truly wild. During the conversation I've thinking about, like, how would I get from School Ties to Mona um, Looks Smile, and I'm probably going with Connie's actress who played No White against Odette Fair's Jafar in uh, Once Upon a Time, and Odette Fair was in The Moment with Brendan Fraser. Yep. So, yeah, it's pretty easy, I
0: guess. Yeah, there's really just the one degree.
1: Yeah. And once again, Odette Fair is pivotal to that, as it mean, is to most things. Yeah,
0: Odette Fair's an amazing actor. Right? We're, we're, we're not talking about amazing actors, we're talking about amazing names. What school name is more pretentious? Well, we have Wellesley College versus St. Matthews. Both pretty low level, honestly. I mean, Wellesley, I think, inches it out just a little bit. Mm. It's also more pretentious because it actually exists. (laughs) The community surrounding Wellesley got shitty about how it was portrayed in this movie. That's fair. (laughs) I guess
1: St. Matthew didn't come down to complain about how he was portrayed in this movie, so. Sure, Wellesley College gets to move ahead a little bit there. But who do we have for most prep, most nerd, most scoff, and most jock? Where do you want to start?
0: I think again, saving prep for last is for the best. Let's start with goth because that's always the most difficult. Okay, so we have Beatrice versus War and Peace. So Beatrice from Madeline mm-hmm. and War and Peace from Sky High. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a tough one because like Beatrice is very goth, right?
1: But also she's very much not a character, whereas War and Peace really is. Yeah, I feel like. I might give the War and Peace because he's so much more vibrantly a, a thing.
0: Yes, I definitely would give it to War and Peace as well. Mm. As we're going through, a lot of this is coming down to who is more of a significant character and we get more of a sense of. And yeah, yeah it's definitely War and Peace.
1: That's fair. Cool. Sorry, Beatrice. By For most nerd, we have Deepak from... Emperor's Club. Sure. I guess that movie has a name <laughs> versus Sue Tennyson from Sky High. Ah, And
0: Emperor's Club was really bad. It was really bad, but Deepak was the good part about Emperor's Club.
1: Right. That wasn't really part of this discussion. I just wanted to complain about Emperor's Club again.
0: Um. Like, I know you've forgotten pretty much everything that you've can about that film.
1: Right. But Deepak is very good. And he's more of a character than Sue Tennyson is, because Sue Tennyson is, like, the backstory version of Gwen Grayson.
0: Yes. Being nerdy is part of Deepak's arc. Right. Well, I guess being nerdy is also part of sue Tennyson's arc into Gwen grayson
1: but it's also part of her genetics i think like she didn't choose the nerd the nerd chose her whereas deepak put effort into being a nerd
0: yeah he he went outside of what was required of him of class and read about the carthaginians exactly yeah deepak is definitely the most nerdy
1: heck yeah cool then we have david and billy from Toy holders yeah our protagonists both times yes one thing is who went in a fight Sean Austin or Brendan Fraser? Obviously Brendan Fraser. That's true.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, even if you took both of them at their prime, I still think it's Brendan Fraser. And if you specifically put David against Billy, it's gonna be David.
1: Yeah. I feel like if it was like a like a long drawn out engagement, like Billy could maybe like outbrain him, but yeah. Yeah. Outpunk
0: him. I think being a jock is also more integral to David's story. Like his sports career is important for him getting into the school, and it also is one of the impetuses for the challenges that he faces later in the film.
1: I definitely get calling Dave the most jock. Okay. And lastly, for most prep, we have Betty and Charlie. Uh, Charlie from uh, School Ties. Yes. (sighs) This is really difficult. Yeah, now we're in the weeds.
0: Yeah, I mean, whoever wins this has to go up against Catherine from Cruel Intentions next week.
1: It's true. I want to say that Charlie is more of a prep because Betty starts to, like, Divorce herself from her prepness at the end of the film, whereas Charlie doubles down on it. He refuses to learn the lesson.
0: That's true. He also has a telescoping shoehorn.
1: Yep. Both of <laughs> those are equally
0: good measures of prepness. Okay. <laughs> Having one that telescopes so you don't have to bend down.
1: Oh, that's fair. I'll, I'll let, uh, let Charlie have the most prep there. Yeah. Definitely.
0: I mean, we're not letting him have it.
1: <laughs> I don't want him to have nice things. I'm not sure the cat's a nice thing, but...
0: Yeah, I don't think it counts as a nice thing because he has to go up against Catherine next week.
1: That's true. Mm. Oh no, she would... If this was, was like a narrative about the two, Catherine would obliterate him very quickly.
0: That boy has not got laid nearly enough. Yeah, also, Charlie's much too snivelly. Yeah. So, that is our penultimate alignment chart.
1: Mm. Yeah. Now All That Remains is, which is a better film?
0: They're both very good films. What? I enjoy both quite a bit, but I think that... School Ties has a few more struggles. There are a few more scenes that don't work. And overall, it just looks like a cheaper film than Mona Lisa Smile does. I think they're both important stories and they are highlighting issues that we are still struggling with in the modern day. But I think Mona Lisa Smile spends more time with a nuanced perspective. Whereas School Ties, it's kind of, it's a little bit at the beginning, then we forget about it for most of the film, and then they bring it back at the end. Mm-hmm. I
1: have a specific argument for why like Mona Lisa's Smile a little bit better. While School Ties does end with David having a victory, David having success, it also ends up with him being alone against a cruel and bitter world that hates and fears him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mona Lisa's Smile offers its antagonists, at least younger antagonists, the opportunity to change and grow. And I think that suggesting that they're our options beyond having to keep the fight going forever is a healthier way to look at the world. Mm -hmm. That offering examples of how to deprogram unhealthy perspectives and help people find better ways to look at things is a better message and a better story to tell. There's a bit of that in School Ties, but I think it's stronger with Betty and the constant love she's shown even when she maybe doesn't deserve
0: it. Yeah. Both of these films have really interesting, bittersweet endings where, like, Catherine... (laughs) can't really continue teaching at the school because of the administration cracking down on her curriculum. So she decides to just leave and go enjoy herself and explore Europe. And Mona Lisa's smile definitely has more hope.
1: Yeah. And especially right now, I'm going to choose hope every time. Yeah. And with that, Mona Lisa
0: gets a smile another day and the school ties will be put back on the rack. And next week we'll have the final exam (sighs) to our bracket with... Dead Poet Society versus Molly's Smile.
1: Which, honestly, people have been comparing them for a long time, so our work is over. We just have to like look those up and read those out. <laughs> That's right, we're going back to Da Vinci's Tomatoes.
0: Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to make sure to catch that episode of Suze Ghost Live, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever you catch your pods.
1: This has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It feels weird when uh, we do it backwards. <laughs>